Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. But after a lot of soul searching and a lot of thought, I, I've come to the conclusion that I'm not so sure that I want people to describe me as a Christian anymore. Now, before you get upset and run out and tear up your membership card at the church, let me explain. In, in 1972, Norm Hawkins was living in a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio, married to his beautiful wife, Anne. He was one of the top people at Procter & Gamble working uh, with a product called Salvo Laundry Detergent. Some of you might remember Salvo, some of you might not. Uh, it was retired in the early 1970s. And, uh, and because of the talk of that retirement, Norm decided that maybe it was time for him to retire as well. And so he and his wife packed up all of their stuff, and they did what everyone in Ohio does when it's time to retire. They moved to Florida. And many of you know, you understand. I, I'm shocked that there's anyone left in Ohio at this point. But they settled in Cape Coral. They... They bought their dream house and were really excited about living the good life. They were there just a few months when they met their new neighbor. A, a nice enough man it was all by himself. Norm and Anne had no idea of the invasion that they were about to experience. Because that man was my father and he had moved to Florida a few months before his family, his wife and eight children, really 13 children, eight that were still living at home. They had no idea. Norman had, had no idea what they were about to experience. And neither did my father. The Hawkins didn't understand the invasion that they were about to be a part of. My father had no idea the inquisition that we as a family would experience. Norm and Anne could best be described as overtly Christian. It's an interesting term, isn't it? That term Christian. You know, the term Christian or derivative of it only appears three times in the Bible. And one of the interesting things about this concept Christian is it means so many things in our world today. There are a lot of people who would classify themselves as a Christian. For the longest time, our nation was considered to be a Christian nation. But again, what does that mean? And, and in fact, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that you could believe just about anything and call yourself a Christian. In the early days, the church did not refer to themselves as Christian. In fact, it wasn't until Antioch that they were even referred to as Christians, and it was never a moniker that they gave themselves. They called themselves something very different. They called themselves 
disciples. Let me give that to you again. They didn't call themselves Christians. That was a term that was given to them by someone else. What they referred to themselves as is a disciple. While Christian is very vague in its definition, it has a, an incredibly wide spectrum. The idea of disciple is much narrower, isn't it? it it's much more succinctly defined. A disciple is this. A disciple is a follower. Follower. Say that word with me. Follower. So we know what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower. A Christian, oh, if we were to go around the room and ask you to give a definition of Christian, we, we, we'd land on lots of different ideas, lots of different concepts, lots of different philosophies. All you have to do is take a quick look at all the different types and flavors of churches that there are in Orlando, and you'll discover this, that Christianity cuts a very wide swath. Some, quite honestly, that I'm not real excited about being a part of. But that word disciple, this is the reason why Jesus said this, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. Two weeks ago, we talked about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Right? Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. And here's what he says. He says this. Go ahead and put it up on the screen for me, please. Therefore, go and make what? Say it again. So, the great commission, this charge that we have, is to go and make followers of Jesus. Not churchgoers. Not people who are moral authoritarians. Not Christians. We're not supposed to make Christians. Therefore, go and make disciples. Make followers of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about the issue of being a, a guiding light versus a blinding light. I stand before you today as a follower of Christ in spite of Christians. Let me say that again. I stand before you today as a follower of Christ in spite of Christians. One of my first real experiences were with those neighbors. Norman and Hawkins believed this. They believed that my family needed to be saved. But here's what I've come to the conclusion. They did not love us. They pitied us. Let me say that again. They did not love us. They pitied us. And friends, 
That is not the Jesus way. When I was 15 years old, I had a God experience. I had a God encounter. He got my attention very completely. And in that moment, I said, God, I'll give you an opportunity to prove yourself real in my life. I'll go to church. I'll pray. I'll read my Bible. I'll do all the things that Christians have told me that I'm supposed to do. And in those 90 days, God, I'll give you an opportunity to prove yourself real. And so as a young, troubled man, teenager, I went to church. You know what was interesting to me? Landing in church as a young guy, hungry for God, wanting to know him, I had a sum total of zero families invite me to their home. I had a sum total of zero men come to me and say, you know what, Ed, let me model to you what it means to be a godly man. In fact, when I would walk into church as this teenager that didn't look like they looked and didn't talk like they talked, I would get an interesting stare, really more so a glare, if I sat in their row. And they could very quickly tell me everything that was wrong with me and all of the things that I needed to change. They loved the idea of helping me become a Christian. There was very little about being a disciple if we understand what disciple really means. A follower of Jesus. How did, how did Jesus do this? As I look through Scripture, and I look at the way that Jesus connected with people, The widow at Nain has lost both her husband and her son. And Jesus approaches her and says, don't cry. That's the difference between pity and love. Pity from a distance. Oh, look at that woman. What a tragedy. Love. Ma'am, let me engage in your moment. Let, let me help you through your grief. Let me help you through your suffering. Bartimaeus, he's blind. Oh, what a pity. Poor guy. Let's give him some coins. No. Jesus calls out for him and engages with him. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, that's a story that I want to spend a little bit of time with today. Jesus is making his way through Jericho. Jesus has some important things on his agenda. There's nothing more important than that which awaits Jesus. And yet, as he's making his way through Jericho, he stops 
and has interaction with a person who is the last man in that city that you would think the man of God, Emmanuel, God with us, would stop and interact with. Zacchaeus. He is an immoral, unethical, corrupt tax collector. Realize this. When they talk about the tax collectors, they would say this. There are the sinners and tax collectors. The tax collectors were so reviled, so hated, thought to be so heinous, so evil, that they even, we don't want to offend the sinners by lumping the tax collectors in with them. And that's this guy, Zacchaeus. Scripture tells us this, that Zacchaeus was curious, not desperate, not at the point where he's going, I've got to change my life, I need something. He's curious. And Zacchaeus was a man that was not very tall. And so Jesus is coming by, and at this point there's a a lot of interest in Jesus. Jesus is very popular in the moment. And so the streets are lined as Jesus is coming through. Zacchaeus being a short guy, not being well-liked, it's not like he could say, hey, can I stand in front of you? So here's what he does. He climbs up in a tree. Jesus is coming by, and he stops. He says, Zacchaeus. It's an interesting moment to me. Zacchaeus. Oftentimes, when we think about connecting with people, we think about sharing Christ with people, we tend to be either a blinding light or a very dim light. We're either so obnoxious that it's uncomfortable. Or we try to be so covert that we don't even understand what we're trying to communicate. And Jesus isn't subtle, but he's tender. Zacchaeus. I want you to think for a moment, this man up in the tree. Zacchaeus, oh no, this isn't good. I'm a short, hated man up in a tree, and Jesus has just pointed out that this man who has cheated all these people out of money for a prolonged period of time, this man who is an agent of an oppressive government, even though he's a Jew, is in a place of great vulnerability up in the tree. Jesus, I would appreciate had you not pointed me out in this moment. Zacchaeus, come on down out of there. I want to spend time with you. I want to, I want to point out a few things about this story and, and, and how, how it helps us to understand the way that we're supposed to live our life and the way that we're supposed to connect with God and with one another.
And here's the reason why. I think that Orlando is filled with people like me. I think that your neighborhood has children in it that are growing up in a home just like I grew up in. I think that when you drive down the street, you're going to see teenagers that are at the same place with God that I was that summer before my junior year in high school. where I was in a pretty tough place. Yet God got my attention. I think that God wants to use you and me to make disciples. Not Christians, disciples, followers of Jesus. The world is pushing back right now against Christianity. Listen to what I'm about to say. It is not pushing back against Jesus. Jesus, the idea of Jesus has never been more popular than it is right now. And yet the church has not faced challenge in recent years to the degree that it is now. People are walking away from church and pushing back from church in record fashion in our modern culture. Why? Because they're not real excited about Christianity, and justifiably so. Because it's not what the Word of God challenges us to be or to do. Therefore, go and make followers of Jesus. Zacchaeus come down from that tree. In that moment, in that moment, Zacchaeus has opportunity. And in what's offered to him, in this issue of relationship, because that's what Jesus is offering to him, right? He's offering him relationship. He's not offering him an opportunity for a lesson, Granted, there is discipling, coaching, teaching that comes through relationship, right? As iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. Encourage one another and build each other up. Spur one another on to good deeds and good works. All those things come through the context of relationship. And here's what we find. In relationship, we find the connections that we need. Because it's not good that we live alone. We find the challenge that we need, becoming a better person. I'm a better person because of the friendships, because of the relationships that I have. The people that genuinely care about me, the people that genuinely love me, 
Christians that pitied me didn't help me a whole lot. I had an opportunity to spend time with a, an individual this week, came to see me in my office, and uh, a woman, in, and she shared with me her salvation story, her salvation experience. She told me that as, as, a, as a young adult, she was searching for God. She had someone that was close to her that was a Christian, um, but really didn't help her connect with Christ. In fact, all of the challenge, all the burden, all the junk she laid on her made her go, yeah, mm, I don't think I want that. She worked in retail, and it was a customer. that wasn't the blinding light that so many Christians are, but instead was a guiding light that God calls us to be. That's what it tells us in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Live your life in such a way that even though the pagans might say bad things about you, they will glorify God on the day that He visits. Live your life in such a way that they see the way that you, they see the way that you live and they say, there must be a God. Live your life in such a way that if they want to say something bad about you, they have to make it up. That's the difference between being a blinding light and, and being a, a guiding light. What Jesus offered Zacchaeus in that moment was not for spiritual laws, it wasn't the Romans road, hadn't been written yet. He offered him relationship. Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I want to spend time at your house today. And in that, Zacchaeus found connection. He found challenge. And he found comfort. My neighbors need connection. They need challenge. They need comfort. The second Sunday in September is Friend Day. And we're encouraging you, challenging you, praying for you that you will use that day to, to bring a friend with you to Calvary. It's not a day that's designed to be an event. Our hope is this, our prayer is this, that it's a bridge. I know which of my neighbors that I'm going to ask to be my friend on that day. I know they don't go to church anywhere. We, we, we've talked a little bit about it already. Not about friend day, but about their, their Sunday morning activity. I'm praying for them. I care about them. They're nice people. They're great neighbors. They don't know Jesus. I think they're a little nervous about church. From the conversation that I've had with them, I think they've had some uncomfortable interaction with Christians. 
I can relate. Because so have I. When Jesus offered Zacchaeus this opportunity to connect, this opportunity for relationship, Zacchaeus had a choice. I want to talk to you about four relationship crossroads. Zacchaeus could choose to live life alone or to connect. That's the interesting thing about God is God gives us the freedom to choose. And in that, Zacchaeus has the opportunity to choose connecting or doing it alone. We have the opportunity to determine whether we're going to connect or do this thing called life alone. And I love what it tells us in, in, in Luke 19. It tells us this in the sixth verse. It says, so Zacchaeus came down and welcomed him gladly. But you have the ability to choose. That's what, at at the end of, of Joshua's life, in Joshua 24, Joshua tells us this very same thing. Joshua explains to the children of Israel, he brings the children of Israel together, and he explains to them all that God has done. And showing them favor and providing for them and bringing them out of the bondage of Egypt and bringing them into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And and he says, it makes sense to have this connection with God, to serve God. But if that seems too much for you, choose you this day whom you shall serve. Any of these gods that you've become acquainted with in our, in our journey through the wilderness? Any of the various gods that were referenced here in the promised land? He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God does not make anyone serve him. And he's given you the absolute ability to choose. God's connection with you is always gracious. You choose. You choose whether you engage or walk alone, whether you connect or stay as an individual. But if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus always had time for the people around him. And he did not pity them, he loved them. What does that mean? What is the difference? Talk to any godly parent that has has had a child drift away from the faith, and you'll understand the difference between pity and love. Is your heart genuinely broken? Or do you refer to them as those people? You know, those people. Yeah, those people. My neighbors, they're all pagans. They're all going to hell. Somebody should reach them. 
you know what, if they don't, if, seriously, if they, don't, if they don't straighten up, if they don't change their life, oh, I don't want to be them on that day. I, I know, I know, I know, I know this can sound more like meddling than preaching. I'm comfortable with that. Here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced of this. And let, let, me, let me just talk to you very personally. Most Sundays I leave church with very mixed emotions. I'm excited about what God does in our moments. The worship experience today was powerful. But then I think of so many who are spiritually hungry in our community, and I see so much empty space in our sanctuary. And I pray, God, do whatever you have to do in me, to me, and through me to where those in my community who don't yet know you, that they can know you, that they can walk in relationship with you. And I, I understand that if, if, if we would not so much try to be Christians here, but really focus more on being followers of Jesus, and modeling what Jesus modeled, it won't be long before your neighbor, your coworker, is, is sitting beside you. There are children in our nursery and in children's church. It won't happen if we preach to them or if we witness at them or even witness to them because Scripture doesn't tell us to go and witness. It says be a witness. People became followers of Jesus Because he recognized their curiosity and he didn't let them stay simply curious. He took the time to connect. The woman at the well, she was just curious. Zacchaeus, he was just curious. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you can stay curious and, and do this thing alone, or you can connect. And that connection is the key. Norman Anna Hawkins didn't want to do anything with us. 
felt bad for us, especially when my father died. There was another couple, also from Ohio, John and Debbie Biddle. Let me tell you how I got to know John and Debbie Biddle. My older brother, Richard, met a girl in school that was very, very pretty, and he fell in love with her. I don't know if he fell in love with her. He at least fell in lust with her, but he liked her. This girl, Julie Lane. Julie Lane. Julie Lane's father was named R.A. Lane. Now, based on that, that should tell you something. He was a preacher, right? Because back in the day, back in the 70s, preachers didn't use their names. They used their initials. You know, especially if you wanted to be somebody, right? So he was Reverend R.A. Lane. His name was Raymond. R.A. though. Raymond Allen. R.A. Lane. So Reverend R.A. Lane. Well, my brother was smitten by Julie Lane, Reverend R.A. Lane's daughter. Reverend Lane, R.A., pastor to church, Bible Baptist Church in Fort Myers, Florida. And Reverend Lane had a rule that his daughter could not date any boy that did not go to their church. And so my brother Richard was smitten enough by her that he made the decision that he would go to church. That was not something my family did. We were not church-going people. Not on any level were we church-going people. But my brother was going to go to church. But he didn't want to hang out with all these crazy church people by himself. So he said, hey, will you guys come with me, his, his siblings? And he bribed us to go to church. And you understand bribes. Bribes are not a bad thing. Scripture says a bribe is like magic. He who uses it will prosper. And so my brother invites us and kind of bribes us to go to church. And we go to church with him. And I meet Reverend R.A. Lane, and I also meet John and Debbie Biddle. John and Debbie Biddle were the bus captains. Remember back when churches had church buses, right? And Bible Baptist Church had four of these orange and white church buses. Every Saturday, John and Debbie would go to each one of the homes where they picked up mainly children on those church buses. And they'd come by and they would talk to us and they would see if there was anything that we, would, anything that we needed. Hey, we're going to see you tomorrow, right? Every Sunday morning, John got up early, went, got that bus. I don't know how, I'm telling you, that bus was a, uh, how he got that bus running every Sunday. is just, that's a miracle. And if you don't believe in miracles, if you've ever been a church bus driver, that'll change your life. And every Sunday... They came. Debbie Biddle would hug every one of us when we got on the bus. After my, after my father died and um, life changed for us dramatically, we went from living in the nice neighborhood to living in the ghetto some ways away. Biddle still came every Saturday. They still drove that bus every Sunday. In fact, even though it was out of the way, they would come and pick me up first, and they would come and drop me off last because they knew I didn't want to be home. And pray for me. Man, did they pray for me. They were followers of Jesus. 
And they followed Jesus' example and connected relationally. They wanted to spend time with me. They invited me as a troubled kid into their home. I told the story some time ago about how I mowed yards when I was a kid to make money. John Biddle was the guy who helped me get my first lawnmower to where I could make money during the summer. Because you can choose to pretend or you can choose to be real. In this relationship thing, you can choose to pretend or you can choose to be real. You can choose to put on an act or you can be genuine. It's interesting to me that when, when Jesus talked to Zacchaeus in, 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 in Luke chapter 19, here's what we find. When he talked to Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I want to spend time with you. And it tells us in the sixth verse that Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly. But all the people, the religious people around, it says this, and all the people began to mutter. They began to mutter. You know, what I was, you know what I've discovered over the years? That's what church people do. We mutter, right? Another translation puts it this way, murmur. They murmured, murmur, 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 murmur. You ever been in church and people are muttering, they're murmuring? We, we don't say it out loud because if we say it out loud, if we actually hear what we're saying, we'll actually be offended ourselves. The gossip and the negativity and the complaining. If we say it out loud, we'll realize how ugly it is and, and we'll realize how ungodly it is. So here's what we do. We murmur and we mutter. Anytime you're muttering something, that should be a huge red flag for you. The people began to mutter. In Titus, it says this. It says that they claim to know God, but by their deeds, they denied Him. Here's what it says in, in 1 Peter. I, I, this is just such a challenge to me. Peter says this, he starts out in 1 Peter chapter 1, and he starts out with just a, the general introduction, right? Then he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into this inheritance that can never be taken from us, right? It'll never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you, ready to be revealed the last time. It says, now, in this, you, you, I understand that you struggle for a while, but, but even your struggles, the, these, these come to, to really refine you and, and develop you, right? And he goes on and he explains this, and then he says this in verse 13. He says, therefore, because of all that Jesus has done, he says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. 
As obedient children don't conform to the evil desires, right? Those that, you, those that you had when you walked in ignorance. But just as he who is called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. I love that term, the empty way of life. No. Skip a few verses. and When you go into the second chapter of 1 Peter, it says this, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice, and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of any kind. This is written to the church. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. I never cease to be amazed at how often Christians get offended and how often we mutter and we murmur. Why would Jesus want to spend time with that guy? I cannot believe he's hanging out with that guy. Obviously, he does not know who Zacchaeus is. Huh. Yeah, right. Son of God. The Son of God would have known that that's not a guy you want to hang out with. Right? Can, can you imagine the chatter that's going on? shouldn't surprise us that many in this crowd would shout in a few days, Hosanna, and then a few days later cry out, give us Barabbas. Very same people. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Christians are fickle. And we can choose to pretend or we can choose to be real. We can choose to live a life of compromise or we can choose to live a life of character, a life of consistency. The people began to mutter. And in that, Zacchaeus responds and says, wait, 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 wait. Let me make this declaration here and now. I'm going to give everything that I have, half of everything that I have, I'm going to give to the poor. And by the way, if there's any of you here that I have wronged, let me make this public. I'm publicly stating if there's anyone here that I have wronged, I will repay you four times over. Jesus makes a huge statement here. And he says this, today salvation has come to this man's house. Why? Because this man too is a son of Abraham. Is Jesus talking about Abraham, our Zacchaeus' familial line? Is he talking DNA? No, here's what he's talking about. When he says this man too is a son of Abraham, he's referring to actually what Alton Garrison talked about last Sunday morning when he talked about the fact that Abraham in hope believed. And when it didn't make sense, he still trusted in God. And Jesus makes a statement. He says, listen, he says, today salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus is this. He's a believer, It wasn't that he didn't smoke, didn't dance, didn't drink, didn't chew, and didn't hang around with those that do. 
Today, salvation has come. Why? Because this man is a believer. And Zacchaeus, in this interaction with Jesus, he went from being curious to Christ follower. I don't know about you, but in my life, I needed a Savior. Let me take that a step further. I don't know about you, but in my life, I need a Savior. I'm a flawed man. There are times where my anger is not godly. Fortunately, I'm pretty good to not let that affect those around me. Typically, it's I'm angry in the car, yelling at you when you can't hear me. I uh, I struggle with pride. Actually, here's what's interesting. I go, the pendulum will swing very quickly with me from pride to massive feelings of inadequacy. I, I can I can I can experience both of those in the in in the midst of a moment. Feeling like somehow I deserve something that I've not earned and feeling completely worthless at the same time. I know I'm the only one here that has that. I can be envious. I played golf yesterday in a golf course that has houses that are a lot bigger than mine. I have plenty of space in my house. Sometimes I think I have too much space in my house. But I looked at those big houses and I said, why not me? It's just for a moment. Don't judge me. But I wrestle with those things every day. Now, you might not wrestle with the same things as me. But friend, if you're honest, you wrestle. As a young child, I needed a Savior. I found Him. Fortunately. But I found him not because of a lot of the Christians around me. I, I found him in spite of a lot of the Christians around me. 
Life took an interesting journey in my junior high years. And then as a senior higher, my junior year in high school, I reconnected with God. Really, it was at that point where I truly surrendered my life to Him. That happened, be- that happened because of Jesus. And it happened in spite of the church. And in spite of Christians, not because of Christians. I think one of the biggest obstacles to the gospel are Christians. But I know this, that all around me, there are people who respect Jesus, who want to know Jesus, who even recognize there's something in their life that's missing. And they have this sense that that probably is Jesus. And if they could spend time with somebody who is a disciple, somebody who's a follower of Jesus, then they would become a disciple too. If you're here and, man, you've pushed away from the church because all the stuff that you've seen the church talk about but not do, or worse yet, the stuff that the church has done to you. Let me say to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how far the church drifted away from the only thing the church is supposed to be about. And that's love. You know, Christianity conquered the world in less than 300 years from the time of Christ. Roman Empire fell. Christianity conquered the world without firing a single shot. And it did it because Christ's followers understood that that's what we were supposed to do. But every time the church has drifted away from love, Oh, it's gotten into huge trouble. And the history of the church is not that good. And our bright moments are when we get back to this. And God demonstrated His love for us. No greater love has one than this, than He be willing to lay down His life for his friends. Altar team, come. Let's pray together.